0: Let's do this shit.
1: Also known as May Day. and this is episode 159 of the Defensive Security Podcast. I'm pretty sure my name is still Jerry Bell, and uh, you are Mr. Andrew Kellett. Hello, Jerry. Why aren't you out protesting for better wages or
0: or better working conditions or the various things people protest for in May Day?
1: I'm I'm back already.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Did That's that quick? Did that? Got it done. How to work out? Not well. Oh. Well, yeah. I mean, you work
0: at home, so that's something.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I I protested upstairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> and no and one really wife, cared. The wife she, wasn't true interested, she, she, truly interested. She, truly interested in your in your complaints. She uh she, she just told me to go back and do more laundry. So <sighs> it could have been your chant. <laughs> what do we want? Toast. When do we want it? Yeah, let's eat. Yeah. I don't think it's very... In hindsight, it just wasn't a great thing, so... Anyway. Anyhow, um, as promised, this is our Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report Spectacular. Well, that might be overselling it. Well, I mean, it could be spectacularly good or spectacularly bad. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, I didn't think of that. (laughs) To be determined.
0: And and there's apparently a plan afoot to have a synchronized listening event yeah,
1: by, with live tweeting. By what episode. By what has become known as the Llama Squad. Yes. I,
0: I, I fear this could be the beginning of the end. Uh, well. This could be Fonzie jo- jumping the shark right here.
1: Put your big boy pants on and let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, sir. Thank you, sir.
1: <laughs> so, right. you
0: know, the opinions expressed by us, just ours. Nobody else's.
1: That's right. No ones. So, uh, so yes, uh, Verizon for I believe the ninth year now has released their data breach investigations report, which continues to get bigger and and badder. Uh, the you know I think the uh, the important thing to understand is that Verizon, uh, I think they they probably started this off just with their own set of data because they perform incident response investigations. But over the years, they've opened, you know, kind of, they've opened the Aperture quite a lot. Now they, they actually have quite a few contributors, including you know, people like DHS and USERT and on and on and on, uh, in, including other commercial incident response companies. And in fact, along the way, they actually created a um, th- this open taxonomy and open database called Veris in the... Uh, the various community where where people can people and organizations can submit uh incidents and data breaches in in a uh, structured way so that uh you, hopefully other organizations can learn from things like that and you know presumably build um, their own views into data like Verizon does with this report um anyway th- there are some important things to understand as we go through this there's limitations, right? They they're pretty clear in their discussions about the limitations because the data has to come from somewhere, and you know there's there's natural biases in in the data, right? So you're if if you are collecting the data from incident response companies that only or or predominantly service commercial or retail industries, well. Your data is going to be heavily reflective of the kinds of incidents that affect retail companies, and so it's it's important to understand that there are some limitations. But even having said that, it's very informative, just given the number of breaches that we see and the kind of the common tactics and common threads that run through them. In my view, there's there's still a lot to learn. So,
0: now all that being said, let's back up just a tad and say we 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 really
1: like. The Verizon report.
0: Well, that's it's, why we're
1: that's why we're dedicating a whole damn show to it. Yes. Yeah.
0: It's certainly there are limitations. This is not a you know purely scientific sampling of the entire uh, I guess market of of security incidents, and this is what they know. And but they do a great job, and they do have a fairly wide view of what's going on. However, there is a wee bit of controversy about this particular report. We will talk about that as well. Uh, but all that being said, I personally really dig the report. I think it's got a lot of great info. I think it's a report that can really give a sanity check to getting organizations out of their own echo chamber of what they think is important and what they're working on in the Riverside program. And I think it's a great way of going, are we really addressing the true threats and the true likelihood of ways that uh, we're going to get owned? And I think this is one that that really can give you some some clear indicators of what's really going on out there Uh, it's also very readable Uh, i appreciate their sense of humor and they actually even you know did a did a written rickroll in there partway through the report which was fairly entertaining for me um yes so uh, all that being said just starting off the show definitely recommend people reading it Uh, i will tell you clearly we are an add society because i did have trouble getting through all 83 pages as much as i liked it Uh, In one sitting, you know, I kind of had to go kick the cat and, you know, knock over small children to, you know, kind of break things up. And then come back and read some more. Uh, But it's it's, it's also meant for bite-sized chunks, so you can kind of grab it in bits and pieces. But just before going into this, it's one of those that I would say it's worth paying attention to. It's worth reading, even if you don't agree with everything in there it's one of those that i think most organizations take a long hard look at and look at what they're doing with their infosec program and see if they're even addressing the top issues being brought out by this report
1: yeah definitely and uh you know it, it, for those for those organizations that are on the more mature end you know i think this provides some some good data to you know compare your assumptions your base assumptions right So. There's a you know there's a there's a view that says you really need to take a look at the base rate um, of different things happening, and so this gives us a a great start for a base rate because we don't really know how often you know phishing attacks versus uh, you know SQL injection attacks happen without something like this. So this is a it's a very it's very good for that, but I think it's also very good for uh for the the less mature organizations because it has really tangible and actionable stuff although you know obviously some of it is you know <laughs> it, while it might be specific it's kind of difficult to uh some of it's difficult to do so uh having said that we'll kind of jump into it um that i think they're they're trying to as as i w- would observe. They're trying to establish some consistency from year to year now in the, the kinds of uh, things that they provide, which I kind of like. Um, and, and when they, uh, in the beginning, they start off with some trend information. And some of the highlights I took away were that 80% of breaches, again, from the set of breaches that they're looking at, uh, re- were the result of actions from outsiders, and this is actual breaches not security incidents and it's important also to note that both breaches and incidents are represented throughout the um you know, the, the report here and they do a pretty good job of calling out which is which obviously breaches are a subset of all incidents um but it, i found it very interesting because it it certainly goes against the well you know the 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 well talked about Uh, numbers that uh, internal threats are far more common than than external. So uh, let's see, people in in user devices are are increasingly targeted, although uh, everything else seems to be either the, the same or in decline. So that kind of represents the increasing trend of social engineering and phishing.
0: Yeah, that that was interesting to me too. And and if you look at the the chart, which we can't show you, but it, it, it's interesting because the servers were the primary. Um sort of target. Uh, and you see this trend line as it comes down and the user devices are coming up. Now by user devices, they define it as uh, desktops and POS terminals. So, you know, if you look back in 2009, which is kind of the beginning of this graph, they've got servers at roughly 50% of the attacks. User devices are less than 20%. Now they're near nearly equal at nearly 40% or just under. There's no, you know, you got to kind of have it interpolate a little bit here. And the trend lines are definitely going to, you know, converge. And if they continue on the current path, servers will continue to be a smaller portion and uh, user devices will exceed them very shortly. So what that tells me is that we're, although people still go after servers directly, especially web servers, we'll talk about later it's clearly much easier, much more successful for the bad guys to go after endpoints. And, you know, that is where we're shifting. Uh, and, and that's something that we need to shift with our defenses as well. We need to realize uh, here's hard data that the bad guys are, you know, typically through phishing or drive-by downloads, going after the endpoints and then pivoting from there to, to then attack our, our critical data internally.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, let's see. Next, next uh, point of light I noticed is that ninety-three percent of compromises take on the order of minutes or less. Yeah, uh, and and they they actually point out that throughout this entire report, there's a really major skew as the result of a of a very large botnet takedown, the Drydex botnet. And so, so when the when the government took that down, uh, that increased the corpus of data that was available like immensely because now all of a sudden they could see all of the, the victims that have been compromised or I, I assume most of the victims that have been compromised and um you had lots of of data uh, hard data about those so now uh, that's i think they're they're pointing out that that's um probably skews that result some however i think it, it does Point back to the you know the the increasing trend of attacking endpoints, and when your attack vector is malware, that doesn't take long. Yeah, right. I mean, you don't you don't you don't have attackers hacking at a workstation for hours and hours and hours and days. You know, it's
0: yeah. Either the exploit lands or it doesn't. Right. You know. Now there could be follow up. Usually, when it when we're going after an endpoint. It's it's a simple, a simple exploit that drops some sort of dropper that then goes and pulls the, the real malware payload. So it's interesting to say exploit, right? The initial point of infection, yes, but when does the true malware get running on the box? It could be, you know, a little bit later. Not by much,
1: though. Well, that's true. Um, let's see, 68% of breaches took um, on that on the order of days or more, for the data to be exfiltrated, which was interesting, um,
0: but it makes sense if, yeah, if you know yeah. you're going to sit there and monitor for the data you're looking for, especially if it's credentials or whatnot. You need to wait for them to actually use it. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, let's see. The sources of breach detection has has changed pretty uh, pretty dramatically. Internal breach or sorry, internal detection of breaches is continues to go down. Law enforcement was was way up, um, I mean like way up. Uh, but again, I think they attribute a lot of that to the the Drydex takedown. Third party uh, was also up, although the growth in third party detection is slowing. So that's kind of like your customers and your your third parties and banks and stuff like that. Yeah, I do
0: find it interesting that again with the with the skewed numbers from the from the big bond that takes down takedowns. Uh, law enforcement being such a leader in terms of notification uh, was interesting to me. Uh, the, another chart in here that I thought was interesting in this section was the time to compromise versus time to discover and, uh, and how they're deviating. We, we are getting a little faster on discovery timeline, but the uh, time to compromise is, is speeding up. Right. So even though we're getting slightly better, the bad guys are getting even better than we are in that. So we're not we're not catching up much in terms of discovering those compromises and how long they've been in the environment keeps, you know, being way too
1: long by the time we find them and stop them. Right. So we're we're still moving backwards even though we're getting yeah. better. The good news is that at some point, you know, it'll have to change because, you know, the the attackers will will get down to zero and then at that point any reduction we have in detection time is a benefit. Yeah. See, I'm looking looking at at the bright side. Are you su- assuming
0: zero population growth?
1: No. no. No, no. Oh, you're saying the time to compromise will get to zero. Yes, that's right. In
0: fact, all of our systems will just ship pre-compromised.
1: Right. It's yes. I mean, that's what I was <laughs> I was, like was right. going to make a Lenovo joke there, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> or or the NSA intercepting HP servers, right? Yes,
1: that's right. <laughs> All right, um, so so the next uh, next big section they call their points of focus, and the first topic in that section is vulnerabilities, and this is the area where there is some controversy, and uh, I will say that the, the the tone of this section is really modeled after uh, some work that Risk.io and Michael Reutman in particular had been talking about for quite some time in that, uh, you know, not... Didn't, didn't- Didn't Risk.io change their name, though? They're called something different now. They're called Kenna
0: Security, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Because that's a way
1: better name than... Well, anyway. Um,
0: Look, they paid... I'm sure they paid marketing people millions and millions of dollars to come up with that name. How dare you criticize their work? I know.
1: (laughs) There's probably some really significant reason that I'm totally trivializing. But anyway... (laughs) um, (laughs) Because I'm just a jerk that way. But anyway... um, so, so getting back on track that the, the deal is Michael Reutman for actually a couple of years now has been talking about how in, in general, we're as an industry very f- myopically focused on things like the CV- CVSS score of a vulnerability. And, you know, we do our own, maybe we do our own prioritization and ranking of vulnerabilities and in determining the order in which to patch and how quickly to patch them. And, um, and the 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 concept he's been focusing on is, you know, it's that that's just one factor, right? There's a, there's probably more interesting factors to consider, like are there you know exploit code is there exploit code available and is it being actively exploited in the wild and things like that because, you know, I think it, I had watched one of his talks uh, from probably a year or two ago and he pointed out that. Um, a medium, you know, a, a quote, medium severity vulnerability that has available exploit code is is probably going to be more damaging to you than a high severity, you know, CVSS 10 that has no exploit code available. And so anyway, that's the, that's kind of the crux of it. Um, what, what they, and by the way, apparently Kenna and, and Michael Reutman actually wrote this section for the the, the report here, um, what, what they're talking about is a, an analysis of a whole bunch of data that was collected apparently through a couple of different, um, I guess, MSSPs maybe, you know, who, who are monitoring um, logs, right? So, so they're looking at attack traffic, so detected attack traffic, and they're stitching that together... With vulnerability scan data from other vendors and then they're they're basically apparently saying that okay, if we see attack traffic headed to a system that we know is vulnerable to a particular type of traffic then um, you know that that was probably a successful compromise and so they they go through some um, some interesting analysis, like, you know, especially looking at that vulnerability scan data, talking about how long, um, you know, how long it takes for different vendors' vulnerabilities to be exploited. And so they talk about how with Oracle, uh, sorry, I, I take that back, with Adobe, um, Adobe is the, the worst in, in terms of, you know, their, their vulnerabilities are exploited almost immediately, <laughs>
0: And typically, by Adobe, we're meeting uh, Reader, Acrobat, Flash. Right, those, right,
1: yeah. Right, right, right. And then, uh, and then, on the other end of the spectrum, is Mozilla, which is uh, you know up, up into the 200 plus day range. And then, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft is, uh, I guess, number two. Oracle is hanging out there. I, I guess you know, last year in 2015, there wasn't a whole lot of Java activity. I think there's. Some some it'll be interesting to see what it looks like next year.
0: Yeah, but I think this is really interesting data. So assuming this is all valid data for a moment, this is the kind of stuff that I think can be useful to uh, an enterprise vulnerability management program trying to figure out with limited resources, what do we patch first? And so if I know Flash is so aggressive, for instance, is so aggressively targeted, the minute, you know, shortly after a patch comes out, that's probably one I want to focus attention on. Right. And if I and if I have to make a choice, you know, all all vulnerabilities cannot be equal. Though a lot of programs I've seen try to rank them as such that they haven't reached a level of maturity where they're doing risk-based analysis or likelihood of exploit analysis. The tools are out there, but most organizations don't go to that level. Uh, a couple of organizations I've seen uh, just have a percentage metric that they're trying to hit you know, within a certain period of time. SLAs are on patching. Although it's really tough for most organizations
1: to keep up. Yeah. So it, I would there's no context around what you should be patching right. though, right? That's I think your point.
0: Yeah. And and I think in this case we're talking typically about endpoints that that are being attacked by if we just use flash for example, flash exploits. So if I'm running a patching program using this kind of data, I'm going man, I need to I need to Get this flash update out as soon as I can uh, in my organization, and maybe that means other stuff
1: waits. Yeah, especially, you want to update flash on your domain controller. So when your uh, when your server administrators are are browsing the internet from the domain controllers, they
0: I think you have a different problem if that's the case.
1: Oh, that might be what we're doing wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just. I could. I could be off base here, but if they're off <laughs> browsing pirate bay from it was a joke by the way i know from the domain controller to download the latest marvel's agent of shield episode they're, they're probably you got bigger
1: issues my friend that's, that's very true um the the next graph they had kind of shows the the, the open enclosure rate of vulnerabilities so basically it's looking at the the um how fast new vulnerabilities are popping up. And that could be because a new system, a new unpatched system is put on a network or because a new vulnerability is discovered versus how fast are older vulnerabilities being closed. And, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty jagged line, but when you average it all out, they point out that it's, it kind of tends to, you know, tends to zero. Um, But, point i think the point there is that there's not a lot of progress you know it's not it's not in the defender's favor and which which kind of goes to the point that we probably need to be more strategic about what we're patching
0: yeah and granted that's difficult that's uh more work that's more effort that's more smart people around the program it's not easy. And a lot of people have turned to automated patching tools to try to cope with the amount of vulnerabilities and patches that are coming out. And we're basically arguing, well, that's great. However, <laughs> you may need to apply some more really smart people around that program to try to get ahead of these problems, which is not what most organizations want to do right now.
1: Yeah, there's a there, there's another another section which really gets into the crux of the controversy. And and this goes very similar uh, in, in concept to something that was in the report last year, which is that um, I think it was 85% of successful exploits are attributable to 10, only 10 vulnerabilities, some of them dating back to 1999. And, uh, and so in concept, that's like, that's a really significant thing, right? If you've got, you know, it kind of says that if you can address those 10 things, you're going to reduce your problem space really dramatically. Um, where, where it goes, goes off the rails a little bit, and I'm, I don't know that it does actually go off the rails, but where the controversy comes in is that the, um, number one, the CBEs that are referenced in this report apparently are wrong. So there, there was apparently some data transposition issues. Um, well, do, do we know that to be true? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, so, so, yeah. oh, go ahead. No. Uh, so before we
0: get into that, I, I somewhat intuitively, although that's not what the point of this report is, but. There's a part of me that believed last year that the, you know, the 80 percentile, 85 percentile of successful exploits were against a small subset of known vulnerabilities with available patches. I I do believe that to be accurate from my own anecdotal evidence. But, you know, in this particular report, the ones they call out didn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, they didn't make sense to org either. Yeah. So, uh, so, so what we, when we were talking about this controversy, attrition.org on on Twitter uh, posted a, a blog post, which we'll provide a link to, which basically says this, this doesn't really make sense, and there's a number of different reasons why it doesn't make sense. Uh, one of which is that you know the um, th- some of these c- CVEs referenced. Um number one are, it's an entirely different list, apparently than last year, which is interesting because if you if you're gonna say that some of these vulnerabilities date back to nineteen ninety nine you know you would have you would expect them to be kind of stable over yeah, the years. so and that,
0: let's be honest. Number six is black moon FTP server, multiple commander motor overflow i no. Yeah. Not enough people are running Black Moon FTP for that. T- <laughs> right. There's clearly a, d- a data mistake here somewhere.
1: Right. And, and that was his other. Uh, and, and by the way, even with just looking through the list, right, there's some of the ones he didn't call out. I'm I'm questioning, too. Like, the, I think number one was I don't have it in front of me, but it was an S channel yeah. Um, man in the middle attack, you know, and uh, you, you know, that 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 requires yeah. pretty specific yeah, it was, it circumstances. Was,
0: it, was, it was a freak attack. It was a, uh, you know, RSA right. uh, downgrade uh, for man in the middle of, of you know, basically SSL traffic. Uh, you know, I would expect to see things like uh, various flash exploits, um, probably a couple of uh, office exploits, that kind of stuff more than I would, and, and certainly our favorite Remote access tools, various plugins for WordPress and websites, uh, you know, content management systems is what I would expect and to see. Drupal and Joomla and WordPress right. and
1: yeah, absolutely. That's that's what
0: I would expect to see. So, so I hadn't heard that yet. So they had come out and said that there was some sort of mistake in the CVEs that were printed.
1: Yes, before. yes. Oh, so so it's, it's actually at the very bottom of the blog post now. Uh, um, I so there was a. There's a couple of different people that that were you involved. You expect in, me to
0: read the entire? I know it's lot. a lot to
1: ask. It's a lot to ask.
0: All right. Uh, okay. So, quoting, I see it now. According to uh, Gabe, the list of CVAs in the DBIR is incorrect. He posted a new list of CB, CVEs via Twitter in reply. Gabe also confirmed that afterwards they compared the figures against the raw data after removing non confirmed breaches. They match. So. Yeah. Wow, no, they're still weird.
1: Yeah, it, it's still it is still weird. So so here's the deal. Um uh, you know, the, the Michael Reitman has said that he is going to be releasing a uh, a blog post addressing this particular blog post tomorrow, Monday, the May 2nd. Um I am apt to give Michael Reitman. I don't know Michael at all, he doesn't know me. But I'm apt to give him the benefit of the doubt because he is, in my view, a, a pretty damn brilliant data scientist. And, uh, you know, this it, I, I, I am left thinking that I just don't understand something that, that well, went into this. And this is why this
0: matters. This is why we're spending so much time on this. Because last year when this came out, you know, I went into my organization and said, these are the top 10. We need to make sure we're nailing to the ground. And right. drove behavior based on that. Uh, and and in general, intuitively, most people agreed with those that, yeah, these are commonly great. Let's go find these in our vulnerability management tool. Let's make sure we're patched. I can't say that about this list. It doesn't make sense to me at an intuitive level that these are the com- most commonly exploited issues out there. Uh, again, Pablo FTP server. Come on, how many people are running... Pablo FTB server for that to be the number four most commonly exploited CVE in 2015. I, I, I just something's up here. Anyway, yep. Not to take away from the rest of the the very very good report, but something is amiss in here. Now that being said, I do think the concept of a small subset, or at least a small you know cluster around a, a certain Set of vulnerabilities is what is popping most to organizations, especially when you're seeing exploit kits and everything else coming out that are focusing on certain things. And I do think there is value in going after those and uh, nailing those to the ground as a higher priority.
1: Yep, absolutely. And so, so at the end of at the end of these, uh, they give some recommendations, and so they do have a couple of recommendations related to vulnerabilities. And uh, the the first one is to Focus on, because uh, kind of as I mentioned in the introduction to this section, focus on prioritizing your vulnerability remediation based on uh, vulnerabilities that are being exploited in the wild, and then by vulnerabilities that have known exploits or proof of concept code. And by the way, I was I was thinking as I was reading that, you know, here is a use case for threat intelligence. Right. Well, yeah. I'd- it depends on what you mean by threat intelligence. Well, I mean, it, th- I've, obviously, threat intelligence is kind of like cloud computing. You know, it's. it's a very... <laughs> well,
0: I'll, I'll give you an example, and just kind of a little bit, you know, inside baseball. In in my organization, uh, the the vulnerability management tool I use actually has a field that shows whether or not there is known exploit code available. Well, there you go. Uh, and I often will monitor a lot of open source blogs and news feeds for evidence of a certain exploit being heavily attacked. And I will try to communicate that to my organization and say, this should probably go up the priority list. Are we successful? Are we fully utilizing that? Probably not as well as we should be. But I think that that is the way to, mat- to mature a vulnerability management program is to start focusing on those uh, more exploitable issues. Yeah. Now, the problem we're running into right now is things like bad luck, where there's unnecessary hype, inappropriate hype, people get wander on the axle on something that isn't truly uh, that scary. And so you really need to have some smart people who have been doing this for a while to go look at that stuff and figure that out
1: for you. Right. So their next uh, recommendation is to have a plan B for those those instances where you can't patch and and inevitably by the way that happens right every organization has this problem where you are aware of some super potentially super severe vulnerability there's exploit code everywhere and you can't patch it so you know you you, you don't want to just throw up your hands and say you know we tried you want to
0: well and one thing they don't talk about here too is depending on what the vulnerability is Let's say it's something that is, I don't know, uh, on your web server, and it's open to the internet. That's probably going to need to be a higher priority than something that's only accessible internally. Not that you should ignore insider stuff at all. Not at all. But you do have to stack rank prioritization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think that, I think they they don't, you're right, they don't mention that. But I do think that their, their point is valid here, that if you have a you know, if you have infrastructure or systems that can't be patched, you need to have a plan B. And it, it's better to know, at least conceptually, what you're going to do. You know, are you you're going to put it on an isolated network and make people go through, a you know, some kind of VDI farm to get to it? Or, you know, what depends on your organization and what the, the, the cases are. But it pays to have some, you know, some kind of idea of what you'll do. Uh, and then the last item... They had is uh, is really aware situational awareness. It's kind of my my take, and I've had this discussion with with people in the past. You know that uh, knowing your inventory is not all that important. You know if you're if you're securing your stuff properly, it shouldn't matter if you if you have a good accurate inventory. And I think this is a good example of why that's really a not a great thought because if you don't know it's there you're not you don't know the patch it
0: well and here's where I think asset management really 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 matters is knowing who is responsible for that particular asset
1: absolutely
0: and that's where I think we fall down but I, I consider what they're talking about here discovery scans and you know for instance I've worked with organizations where we'll do discovery scans from the outside and we'll look for any new IP or new port that opens to the outside that might have gone around change management, for instance. Uh, We'll do discovery scans internally just to try to do, you know, find something new that we didn't know about. Now, the problem is, again, all this takes smart people to look at and interpret this knowledge. So this is just like an untuned IDS. You 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 could be generating a ton of data coming at you. You've got to be able to absorb and do something with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so moving on to the next item which is phishing, And uh, some interesting comments here. Uh 13, it's a 13% uh well, let me let me take a step back for a second. 30%. And th- by the way, this data comes largely from um from companies who offer phishing simulation services. Shocking. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, but you know the data has to come from somewhere, right?
0: Yeah, and let's be very, very clear. We, I personally feel, phishing is still a massive threat vector. Yeah, and probably the one that you really should care a great deal about.
1: Well, absolutely, and I think that is you know, pervades this entire report. And yeah. So, say thirty percent of uh, of fishes that are sent are opened by their uh, by their victims. 13% of people will open attachments. Which is you know that's um that's not great, you know. Uh the the medium median time to the first person opening a phishing email is in 1 minute and 40 seconds. So, you know, think about that. That that is you know does not offer a lot of opportunity for you to, you know, do any kind of retrospective analysis before people are clicking on, the, <laughs> on stuff in mass.
0: Well, it also shows the, you know, psychology behind the reward structure of opening email.
1: Oh, and, absolutely. And,
0: and how we are wired to answer that ringing phone.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, which also, by the way, tells me that if you are relying on post-delivery detection of email, like for instance, let's say you've got some sort of sandboxing technology that's looking at email and it's doing it in a copy-only mode as opposed to an in-line mode. So those function in, in, in a way that email gets delivered to the user's inbox and to the sandboxing technology, and the sandboxing technology runs on it for you 5-10 know, minutes and then says, oh, this is bad. Uh, and then you think you're going to go find and and remove it from those inboxes. It's way, way, way too late. But I've seen plenty of organiz- organizations run that way because they're afraid of disrupting email.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Now the the flip side of that is if you run these sorts of filtering and and processing technologies in line, they can quarantine detected bad emails before they even get to the inbox and remove that temptation to click.
1: Yeah, but then you know, but but then your sales team. Will will uh you know will will say that they were they missed their quarter because of the email filter,
0: of course. <laughs> People need to buy widgets, and my God, if they don't get an email, screws their entire. Do, do they not understand that this organization runs on the back of that sales team?
1: <laughs> uh boy, I think that is the perennial problem um let's see the median time to open uh, for the first user to open a malicious attachment is three minutes and 45 seconds so i mean that's a whole three times longer (laughs) yep that's that's like an eternity uh let's see they they do have um you know the whole discussion is pretty pretty interesting but in the sake of time they have a couple of good recommendations can,
0: can I throw one other stat out? Yeah, go ahead. was
1: interesting. Go ahead. Uh, only
0: 3% of targeted individuals alerted management of a possible phishing email. Yes. Which yeah. I thought was huge. It, if you're if you're trying to rely on training your employees to spot and report phishing emails so that your IT group can then go deal with it, uh, clearly that's not working right now in a widespread or, or way throughout our, our industry.
1: Right. Yep. So uh, their the recommendations are to first... Uh, first of all, filter. Right? So they they point out that, kind of like you said, the best defense is to not let them cl- let people click on it in the first place. Um, let's see, the next is to uh, make it easy to report, right? And then also, along with that, awareness training, which I think you know obviously has limited success, I mean, but it is important, right? We've talked about this at length in the past, you know, it's, you're not going to get down to zero, but, you know, maybe you go from, let's say a a 30% click rate to a 20% click rate. That's that may,
0: may have a substantial impact.
1: Right. Um, and then, uh, this is not a. this is actually, I think of the next recommendation is kind of a sad, um, you know, a, a sad reflection of the state here, which is you need to design your environment so that one person or, or a person clicking on a malicious attachment or malicious link isn't catastrophic.
0: Did you just say malicious link?
1: <laughs> I tried to sneak that in there. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we need, we need like a little sound that goes off whenever you mention that. Yeah, one other thing that I wanted to mention before we moved out of the phishing category is the target of phishing, I thought was fascinating. Of 905 attacks uh, profiled, 829 of those are going after credentials for reuse. Yes. And that is one thing that is repeated throughout this report over and over again, that typically the initial target of some sort of malware or attack is capturing credentials. And and then reusing those credentials in some malicious way,
1: right? That's right. I,
0: I think that's a huge point that we're seeing over and over and over again. Which, of course, the recommendation is going to be try to use some sort of multi-factor authentication.
1: Yeah, and, and you'll find that in that each one of these sections has a recommendation, and multi-factor authentication is a feature in almost every one of them. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: but uh, that is a clear trend we saw over and over in this report. Bad guys are going after creds. That's what it really is coming down to right now, as an initial step in the attack.
1: Yeah, that's right, and, and because it works, um, and so so they, as I said, they do they do really impress on us the importance on making sure or trying to make sure that that a person opening uh, one of these these phishing emails isn't catastrophic because it's almost inevitable. Unless you don't allow email and and whatnot uh, to avoid it, and and so they they talk yeah. about segment segmentation and multi-factor authentication and and those sorts of controls.
0: Well, this goes back to something that we've talked
1: a lot about a lot, which
0: is you cannot one hundred percent prevent it. So, how do you make an environment that's breach resilient?
1: Right. And then their last recommendation here is to. Look for signs that you know everything else has failed, and that these you know, one of these systems is uh, is communicating with a command and control system. Uh, and then, uh, speaking of which, moving on, the the next section is related to credentials. And um, that I thought it was an interesting stat that 63 um, percent. Of of attacks, I guess it's breaches, involve weak default or stolen credentials, and um, you know, it kind of goes back to again the the point that you know, multi-factor authentication, unfortunately, is is becoming kind of a, a pervasive um, recommendation, because this is it's such a it's such a well worn path for attackers everybody's doing it you know that's, that's the one thing that'll keep coming up in, in, as we go through the report is that everybody whether you're talking about organized criminals or nation states or you know they're all they're all after your, your credentials so um, the, the downside is that two-factor or multi-factor authentication is not easy and, and often not cheap
0: nope it's kind of like whitelisting technology it's it can be highly impactful and highly effective, but it is administrative load to run.
1: Yes, yes. So, uh, so the next section we we now go into. Um, there are nine that the, the Verizon folks have been for the last couple of years, bucketing the the different attacks or breaches into nine trends, and so we're going to go talk through those nine trends now. The first one is web web application attacks, and um, you know that they had an interesting. So as we go through each one of these, they have a really interesting key finding section, which kind of nets it down. And I'll read this one for web web app attacks. The breaches within this pattern are heavily influenced by information gathered by contributors involved in the Drydex botnet takedown. Hundreds of breaches involving social attacks on customers followed by the Drydex malware and subsequent use of credentials captured by keyloggers dominate the actions. Defacements are still a commonplace in CMS plugins are also a fruitful attack point. Now <laughs> what what's what's really interesting is that the, the one graph they have, or I guess it's the first graph they have in this section points to the motivations behind web app attacks. And it is not what I had expected. And so the first web app, or the first, um, I'd say probably by factor of three or more, is what they call F- FIG, which I, I, it took me a minute to figure out what they were talking about. It's fun, ideology, or grudge. And then uh, far, far less common are financial uh, financially motivated attacks. So, uh, let's see. um you know, the one thing I'll say really quick too on the web app attacks is, is,
0: is don't make the mistake of assuming that that's the end goal. Often what we're seeing is a multi-stage attack. So the web app may be a portion of a bigger targeted attack, whether it be um, you know, a waterhole attack, whether it be gathering creds to then pivot to go further in, it's not just going after a web server. It's part, sometimes part of a bigger, more complicated attack.
1: Yeah, that's right, and you know they, they they point out that there are lots of different reasons, uh, and I think they they tried to filter out some of the reasons. So, for instance, it's been a common thing lately for web servers to get compromised and then and then used to um, to run a botnet, which is used for denial of service attacks. Right. You know, not necessarily for data breaches or or what have you. Um, so, so I think there's there's a lot of that sort of thing, but then I think the other, you know, the other more important lesson is that I was trying to explain this to someone that at every step of the way in the intrusion cycle, the the, the, the phases are becoming abstracted. You know, the initial point of compromise can be, you know, a, a phishing email or. Um, a drive-by web download or a USB dropped in the parking lot or SQL injection on your website. And, and then the next layer is abstracted too. And, And it's just abstracted the entire way through. And I think the challenge is that many of the attackers, whether they're organized criminals or, you know, nation states or whoever are, you know, have in their toolkit, Many of the different things that exist in that that la- that abstraction layer, each one of those segments, and so that's, you know, it 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 kind of says that each one of these things are important to think about to some extent. So, um, let's see. I, I think uh, th- you know they point out that things like um, attacks on con- uh, content management systems are. Are certainly very common. They have some recommendations here uh, that, again, I think the one of the most common methods of attack. And in the, the the chart, one of the charts, Figure Twenty Four, if you're following along at home, is a little bit difficult to read because they're comparing, in my view, some dissimilar things. So, their uh, stolen credentials is a common i'd say the most common way these web app attacks are being carried out and so in their recommendations they talk about again multi-factor authentication because that is how the majority of these web apps are being compromised Uh, and then their next recommendation is to sanitize your inputs so sql injection and remote file inclusions Uh, those are two really common problems and then uh, you know, updating your content management software and the associated plugins. Uh, those are the recommendations there. And I, I will tell you that last one is often really problematic, especially in you know, the small and medium-sized organizations where it's it's easy to set some of these things up, and then uh, you know they become kind of a fixture and they're not managed. Well, one other
0: thing I'll mention too is that depending on, and this kind of gets in on the weeds of enterprise vulnerability management, but depending on what tool you're using, if you're triggering off of findings in your vulnerability management tool to find things to patch, you've got to be careful that you're actually doing uh, either an authenticated scan to really be able to pull versioning properly uh, and that it knows what you've got on there. If you're doing an unauthenticated scan, a lot of times it cannot pull the versions of everything on that box it can pull some things, it can pull headers it could pull it may be able to get it, but if if you're just scanning unauthenticated, you probably aren't going to get the full picture of what versions of are on the box, so again, getting down the weeds
1: but the that means but that do. means you have to give your vulnerability scanner accounts on all those things. That sounds like terrible security
0: <laughs> I'm going to have Bob come and hit you soon. Yes, there is some risk incurred, much like running a password manager, but I think the risk is outweighed by the benefits. Now, very quickly to complete my thought, though, uh, doing both unauthenticated and authenticated scans give you different views, which I think both are valuable. So, sorry, getting down the weeds. I know we're only like halfway through this report. This might have to be two shows. I don't know. We're into like almost an hour here, and we're not even halfway through. Yes. And and we we're, and we're, I feel like we're skimming the surface. There's all these other points that are good in here that I'd love to make, but
1: anyway, carry on. Sure. So the uh the next uh the next category is point of sale intrusions. I think by the way some of these start to go a little bit faster. Um key findings there uh th- that the, the the focus, the main the main attacked focus Transitioned in 2014 from retailers to hotel chains in 2015, and you know we I think we talked about a lot of those on this show and hell you conducted three of them well yeah we, we Ooh, don't talk I, about we'll
0: that yeah. edit that out sorry my bad
1: uh, let's see um, you know RAM RAM scraping malware and, and uh, whatnot are are very common you know they did point out I I do find it interesting that RAM
0: scraper became the primary method, which tells us something a little bit about yes. uh, the methodologies and what the bad guys are trying to hide from and what they're they're coping with uh, in terms of where encryption might be happening and some other things like that. So I, I did find that interesting, that RAM scraper is by far the most prevalent.
1: Yeah, um, they, they do point out that there's a heavy use of stolen credentials involved in and point of sale uh, intrusion. So, ram scrapers is the method by which the card data is collected, right? But right. the stolen credentials are the predominant way that they're getting the ram- that ram scraper malware in in the first place. And interestingly, in 97% of the intrusions that involve stolen creds, uh, there's a, a the ve- the attack vector was through a partner. So it was actually a partner's. I Potential. don't believe
0: that. I'll tell you straight up, I do not believe that stat. I think that that's, there's something wrong with that stat.
1: Okay. I don't buy it. I
0: don't buy 90. Anytime somebody says 97%, I, I get skeptical. And I say through partner access, I, straight up, there's something wrong with that stat.
1: Well, I think they're, they're talking about vendors, right? So you, so they, the, the no, I get s- it. support company.
0: Yeah, sort of target and, and their HVAC. I just I don't I don't no,
1: no no I don't think it's Target and their HVAC. I think it's it's the, the company that maintains the POS terminals. Hmm.
0: That's
1: that's why that's how I read it. It's not it's not the I mean I think the, the target and Home Depot uh angle is the outlier. I think what they're what what, what they're predominantly seeing here is it's the it's the companies that these retailers have on contract to manage their POS terminals. And so, they're, so they they point out, actually, if you go to the, the recommendations, the first recommendation is that, number one, you should be using <laughs> multi-factor authentication, uh, but also you should be monitoring the the, the login log-out activity of your vendor, uh, which, you know, kind of is... In a way, um, now they do talk about how this transition, this, this technique transition in the past from being largely a problem affecting smaller organizations to one also affecting larger organizations. But, you know, I've got to believe that if you are a small company who has one or two POS terminals, you're probably not going to be in a position to, you know, to do that kind of monitoring. So, no, certainly.
0: You've, yeah, that's the problem with a lot of small business in Infosec is you just have to trust <laughs> other right.
1: organizations have done it right. Right, but if you're, you know, if you if you are a larger organization, you know, it does make sense that you should be reconciling the login activity of your uh, of your vendors who are ma- maintaining this stuff.
0: Well, yeah, you know, the other thing that's interesting going on right now is our shift to um, the EMV uh, standards, which is basically the chip and potentially PIN, but right now it's chip and signature uh, for credit cards rather than the magnetic swipe. Right. And this shifts liability. So we're seeing a big upgrade of the POS terminals in the field to handle these new chip and PIN cards. And in general, uh, after October of last year, if if the, the point-of-sale retailer, if the, the person running the point-of-sale system hasn't set up this EMV capable card uh reader they start to own the liability for a potential breach if they are running with the proper new card readers then the liability still shifts back to the banks and and the credit card processors and and issuing banks and such so they don't mention that at all in here but that's definitely something interesting of of how the the point of sale fraud is going to start shifting, and they do talk about this, but shifting more to a card not present situation, right? Um, which again doesn't. So I wonder if we're going to see a big fall off in going after individual point of sale and more towards centralized vendor databases for card not present transactions.
1: Certainly, I've read I've read quite a lot of things outside of this report that indicate that that there's a there seems to be like a last hurrah going on. <laughs> to To collect uh, cards,
0: but I will tell you that the EMV transition has been fairly slow. I think you know some of the stats I've read is not highly encouraging. Yeah. That you know we're we're not <laughs> we haven't seen this
1: widespread adoption because these are expensive little boxes. Well, you know, even more than that, it's it's interesting. You just anecdotally, I, about half the stores I go to now, most everybody has a reader that has the slot to put the card in now. But I would say, you know, I always try to put the card in the slot and I would say about half the time, you know, the, 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 the cashier says, Oh no, we don't have that active yet. You need to swipe it. And, and that's like today, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Almost a year after it was supposed to be implemented. So I don't know, maybe they, maybe the fact that they bought it, they feel like that's uh, that's good enough. I, I don't know. Um, and then their last, their last um, point on control recommended controls are to segment your network you know segment the past environment away from your corporate lan where everybody's uh, you know surfing their, with uh, their out out of date flash and and certainly um you know you should not be surfing on the past terminal itself that seems like really are you sure I don't know. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's where you should update Flash first is on your <laughs> on your pause terminal, right? Man, if we can get Windows 95
0: running on smartwatches, I don't see why we can't just browse from, you know, these. All right, carry <laughs> on. I mean, what else am I supposed to do while they're running my transaction? I'm bored. I If I don't get my updates every 13 seconds from the interwebs, I start getting the shakes.
1: That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, hey, why should we not be checking in to Facebook from, you know, the kidney dialysis machine? Or I mean right so i didn't
0: know you'd read my business plan that's i didn't <laughs> man
1: so uh
0: patent pending by the way before anybody gets any ideas
1: <laughs> let's see so moving on to the next uh, category insider and privilege misuse so uh some interesting stats there 14% only 14% of the attacked uh people were in leadership positions, so executives, managers, that sort of thing. And uh this this next one really surprised me too that uh um uh, only another 14% are people who have privileged access, so you know sysadmins and network admins that sort of thing. I figured that would have been a little higher.
0: One thing I saw interesting is the rise of uh motivation of espionage as yes. as opposed to pure financial.
1: Right. That that is um, Definitely, and kind of like uh, one of the previous graphs we talked about with the you know the the server versus uh, endpoint. There's a converging and in, in soon to pass trend line between financial and espionage. in this, you know, assuming <laughs> assuming the, the trend stays the same. Well, and I'm I'm wondering I don't I wouldn't say so. These graphs can be a little misleading because they're not
0: showing you quantity, and so I would think. My gut is that if you looked at the quantity of financial, it probably is not going down. I think that the uh, espionage is coming
1: up more right. than the financial is going down. Possibly as, a, as it relates. I mean, you, you're, you're probably right on there. It, and it could be more a reflection of these incident response companies' ability to detect espionage-type activity. Yeah, going
0: back to something we threw out at the beginning here. This is all within the context of the data set that we have, which is not a scientific sampling of all data. It's just what they have. Right. Not saying it's not useful and valid, but it's it is a certain scope of view.
1: Yep. Uh, let's see. They talk about uh, privilege abuse is the you know, the most. Um, the, the I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? <laughs> It's almost it's almost tautological that privilege abuses is is, uh, is the predominant. I mean, by like orders of magnitude. So you're saying your white privilege was abused? No. No. Okay. No. Let's, let's just be clear. I don't know where that came from, but um, I'm gonna let it go. So um, <laughs> let's see. You, you threw me there for a second. Um, that that that's my job they uh they talk about how um the re- breaches resulting from insider and privilege misuse are often the ones that take the longest to detect so they they uh throughout the history of the report have taken you know months pre- predominantly months or years to detect and i i guess that you know the caveat there would be for the ones that have been detected right yeah certainly that's What's the unknown unknowns, right? Um, their, their recommended controls there are, um, that you, you really want to, uh, to keep an eye on people and their activities and what, how they're accessing their data, especially the people who have access to data that can be monetized. And so that would be, you know, your PHI, your, your payment card information, um, those sorts of things. That's, th- those are the areas, and by the way, you know, f- almost without exception, that's that kind of data has an obligation for you to be monitoring anyway. So, that's not... The X-Files tra- taught us a long time ago to trust no one. <laughs> it's It's almost like you should be doing this already. But this is a tough one. This is
0: surprisingly difficult. Because to truly do this right, you have to know where all this data truly is. You have to make sure it doesn't, spread, intentionally or otherwise, uh, you got to make sure no shadow IT jumps up. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with, I don't know, patient information, and uh, somebody wants to work with it, and they, they're, they're accessing it in the secure database, but they can't quite do what they want, so they spin up their own access database, they do a big export, they pull it in, then they start manipulating, working with it, just to achieve
1: some goal, and then forget it's there. Yeah. We've seen a we've we've seen a spate over the past probably year and that, that that damn guy Chris Vickery keeps finding MongoDBs on up in AWS where where apparently uh for that very reason I guess people are uploading, you know, masses hordes of data for I you know, we can only assume some kind of data analysis and then you know, of course it has absolutely no authentication. It's just kinda of like totally wide open because why not? Right. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right there. They do talk about how, uh, and this, this one is, you know, totally, um, un, undefined in terms of how you do it, but, you know, keep an eye on your USB drives. Uh, <laughs> you know, good luck. That's, that's a, it's a very difficult problem. Um, and i've seen lots of people struggle with this with that one and then uh, and then you know the la- their last point is similar to what you mentioned and that is know where your data is and know who has access to the data and that's Which, a, yeah it seems so it seems so simple and so intuitive and i've heard people say well you know you really should know where your data is and then at the other on uh, the other spectrum uh, other end of the spectrum no one seems to know where their data is it, it is, it is, that is such a common problem. So, uh, let's see, miscellaneous errors would be, uh, would be next. It's kind of, I, I do like they they have the uh, data error redu- reduce productivity or DERP. Um, that's pretty clever. Um, Capacity shortage is is number one. I you know I, I was actually having some discussions on Twitter about what the heck that meant. And as far as I can tell, really what that means is you know the, the, that in the in the processing of data, they run out of storage space, which kind of sounds like a an incident and not a breach. Um, Misdelivery is the second most common one, which by the way, is a huge problem for most organizations that, and, and one of the most problematic reasons is, um, at least in my experience, and they talk about it a little bit here, and that's auto complete in your email browser. <laughs> yep, uh, boy. Um, now pa- we've <laughs> we've
0: personally witnessed a couple of times where executives emailed to all employees stuff they shouldn't have.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. um. And it's you know it's 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 really problematic when you're uh, you know when you're a doctor's office and you email a bunch of medical records to the wrong place. Um, Miss, let's see. Sorry, publishing errors is is next, and that is um, we we have seen some of this. There was the uh, the recent hospital, I think, in California where they had published a bunch of um, medical records on an open web server, uh, and they, I think they were fined um misconfiguration similar this is this is like uh you know we just left that server open to the internet sort of thing um let's see their recommended controls um they don't have great recommendations here either <laughs> so uh learn from your mistakes so um you know, i think their point is that these are this whole category is errors right so it's it's difficult to Um, you have to have good good controls for errors, but they point out that you should really be tracking the mistakes and trying to learn from them. So looking at the trends and how do those trends map to controls that might be missing. And then in particular, they talk about uh, disposals, disposal of assets, which apparently is a really big, a big problem. And so uh, you, you should have a checklist
0: one one quick aside. Yeah, go ahead. full disk encryption is a great way to not have to worry too much about hard drive disposal.
1: That is very true. If but, you're configuring it properly, and they also talk about even uh, even more problematic are paper records. And so they they point out that you really you really want to have a um, you know a. Uh, a checklist for disposing of, of documentation and assets. Uh, physical theft and loss. And in this in this particular area, I thought it was interesting that lost assets were over 100 times more prevalent than than uh, stolen assets. Which I guess is uh, good. I Never suppose.
0: attribute to maliciousness what you can attribute to stupidity.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. um, and this is where this is where they start talking about full disk encryption, right? So um, that, that is one of their recommended controls. That you also should be trying to impart better security culture in, into your employees, so that they don't leave their laptops in the you know in the backseat of their car while they're at dinner and where it can get stolen, and then also to try to rein in people's propensity for printing out crap. Which then has to get thrown away and ends up in a in a big dumpster, and then you're on the the TV news, and it's just all horrible. Uh, let's see. Moving on to crimeware. This is crimeware, by the way, is like it, all of the malware that doesn't fit into anything else, into any other categories. And I I thought the interesting analysis here was the delivery mechanisms. And the the most prevalent was email attachments, and then uh, the next uh, the next most common was uh, drive-by web attacks, and then uh, malicious links. <laughs> Did it again. Uh-huh. Yep. And then uh, and then far far more or far less common are uh, downloaded malware and network propagations. Uh, so they uh, you know they they do talk about how. In the past. I do. I do wonder, by the way, that network propagation one. I bet that's going to change with
0: uh, ransomware uh, reaching on and crawling uh, file shares.
1: It seems almost inevitable as an evolution yeah. of uh, of, ma- of ransomware, right? I mean, that's yeah. the next. If if you are a ransomware author, what's your next play? You know, it's it's to encrypt all of an organization's computers at the same time,
0: mm-hmm. or at least all of their data on the file shares. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh. Anywho, I know we're running late. Carry on.
1: No worries. Uh, let's see. They they do talk about how um, you know in it, hashes in the past have been you know it's it, it's been uh it's been kind of a hallmark right that if you if a uh, uh, malware hash or malware samples hash is unique to you that that must be a targeted attack well you know they point out that nope you know almost all malware now has a lifespan of you know seconds and and so you, it's very very likely that you will see malware that's completely unique to you
0: yeah it's just too easy to randomize hashes now uh, yeah I think they said their data set said 99% of malware hashes are seen for less than a
1: minute yep and that's um, you know that's that's the that's the problem we have. Uh, their recommended controls. Uh, let's see, they have first off patch, patch your stuff, patch your patch your Adobe, you know, or or maybe maybe don't have Flash or Java on your computers. I know it's crazy. I, I know it's, it's very uncomfortable feeling um they talk about uh, next uh, next recommendation is to block scripts and macros from uh, from being able to run and then also blocking those uh, you know in, in your incoming email and also stripping off executables and maybe some other uh, f- file extensions but you know of course that works great until you cause your uh, uh, your sales team to miss a their, their quarterly numbers. It's true. Not it's that true. That that's ever happened to me and I'm, and I'm certainly not better. Still, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Never. Uh, Couldn't possibly. <laughs> let's see. Um, you know, they, they do talk about um, also monitor your organization. And I think this is, again, one of those capabilities that's unique uh, is, is going to be unique to some of the larger organizations, but let's monitor the kinds of malware that are, um, you know, affecting your organization um all of them well I think their think their point is you know looking at how it's coming in and, and then trying to take remedial action so if you know if, if you if you've taken steps you should be taking steps to you know to, to reduce malware infections you should be monitoring to see okay you know it's still coming in how's it getting in and then go off and specifically address those problems, which you know seems pretty basic.
0: Yeah, it just would take, you know, committees and change control and months of meetings to, you know, actually get
1: anything done. Not that I'm bitter. You sound you sound like you might be a little bitter. No, no, not at all. Okay, good. Uh payment card skimmers, you know, not a whole lot to say there. Um it's a it's it remains a big problem. Although what I find interesting is that um it's still a big problem in uh, in Eastern Europe, which where I thought they had EMV already deployed. So I don't know. I don't.
0: I unlike you and Bob, I don't get to Eastern Europe much.
1: Eh, well, um, you know they they do talk about s- that their controls are to use tamper resistant terminals, uh, have tamper evident controls on the terminals. Uh, Perform periodic checkups of the terminals by someone competent in in, uh, finding such uh, skimmers, and they also give some tips for consumers, such as guarding your PIN and trusting your gut. You know, if you see like part of the terminal hanging off, maybe that says that you shouldn't use it. I don't know. Seems like a good idea. Uh, Cyber espionage. We're almost done. Almost (laughs) done. Cyber espionage. Power through it. Um, yes. I'll read the key findings there. Espionage begins with the same threat actions as many other patterns to gain access, but will deviate as needed once the initial compromise occurs. And that is a very important point. You know, when you read this section, there isn't a lot of unique attributes to espionage-type threats. It's it's um, it's really, in my you know, the way I would say it is it's chaining together things in a slightly different order or uh, for a slightly different end.
0: Yeah, and instead of motivation by finance, you're motivated by something else. Maybe it's gathering information for strategic reasons. Right. Or it could be, you know, screwing up somebody's
1: centrifuges. I don't know. <laughs> Not that that's happened ever. Never, no. Uh, let's see. Um yeah, so again, there's really not a lot of um, you know, not a lot of uniqueness that doesn't appear in other in, in other types of categories. They do have a, a fairly robust set of recommendations for um for which this applies category.
0: to almost any sort of malware protection though. And, and there's that, nothing yeah. nothing exclusive about cyber espionage.
1: That's that's what struck me when I read these yeah. these uh recommendations is they are not unique to uh to yeah, espionage. The,
0: the vector and the payloads aren't different; just the, the goals are, right? The motivations are,
1: and, and you know, this just just seems like one of those things where if, you know, if you follow these, you're going to probably address many of the other uh, issues. So they're, uh, they they start off with recommendations related to endpoint protection, and they they point out that uh, malicious software was used in ninety percent of espionage incidents uh, in 2015. And that was del- delivered via email, web drive-by.
0: I got to say, calling Windows 7 malicious software is probably a little harsh. I thought it was Windows 10. <laughs> We're joking. That's not in the report. That's a joke. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens when the show runs too long. We start getting punchy and our jokes start getting bad. Not yeah. that they're ever good. I should say they get worse. They get, they get less, less good, more, more bad. And finally, on something that's actually, I think, a more useful
1: area... Yeah. Ddos, yes. Yeah. Uh, so Ddos, their key findings: attacks are either large in magnitude or uh, they are long in duration. But they're typically typically not both in many, Man, are neither. Man, I'm not gonna make the joke. I'm thinking. Thank you. Insert your mom joke here. That's all I'll say.
0: Oh boy. So. Um, hey, I, 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 look, it was just a pointer. I didn't actually say it. <laughs> And now it's the, the listener can create any joke they like, so it's interactive. Yeah, just, it's like a choose your own your mom adventure. Just,
1: just, uh, just speak your own your mom joke right now, and we'll we'll, we'll laugh, and then we'll move on. Ha ha! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyhow, um, off the rails. Yeah, Here. yeah, yeah. The, s- so, DDoS is getting bigger. That's for sure. It's getting bigger, or it's getting more protracted in in uh, in duration. That's the. I think those are the the two takeaways. They don't talk, by the way, a lot about what I thought they would talk about, which is the the DDoS for ransom. So kind of like and the,
0: or DDoS as a distraction.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, the DDoS they, for ransom is huge right now. We're seeing it all over the damn place. Well, and, and not only DDoS for ransom, but just the threat of DDoS for ransom. So we yeah, saw right. we we've seen. In it's the DDoS rec- blackmail, really? Yeah, we've seen it in the recent past, and, it, and it's not even a, necessarily a case where the the perpetrators have any capability to deliver oh. on the threat.
0: What what was that uh, report that just came out about a week ago about uh, exactly. businesses paying over a hundred thousand dollars to uh, blackmail that you know DDoS blackmail for people who don't even have DDoS capability?
1: Right. It was it was uh, for for people who were using the name of an of a group whose members had all been arrested. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe they have internet
0: access at the jail.
1: Yes. Yes. That's, I'm sure that's true. Um, You know, I, I think the point there, and we've talked about this in the past, is that it really comes down to DDoS, preparing for a DDoS attack is something you need to do in advance. It's not yeah, there's easy. there's
0: very little you can do once you're under attack if you hadn't prepared ahead of time.
1: Right, and they, you know they talk about maybe uh, maybe the cloud is a good place to be because they often have really you know, robust capabilities for handling uh, DDoS attacks of different sizes. Um, you know they uh, yeah, and so that's you know, that that's that. They they have a an everything else category which you know is like. Like it says, everything else. Although I found found it interesting that they have the CEO fraud in the in the everything everything else bucket, and that is as uh, as we have learned in previous episodes, a really fast growing problem. I think there's um, the FBI said there was several billion dollars in 2015 that that were stolen as a result of this. So, hey, we gotta fund the show somehow. <laughs> well, you know, hey, so um. So it's all in all, it's an awesome report. You know, yeah, you have we, to be we, rec, you have to be realistic, right?
0: I feel like we barely scratched the surface, and we're you know an hour and a half in. Yeah, and and we're only there's a bunch of appendices on here too that have a lot of other good information and data and
1: stuff. So so maybe there will be a part two to cover things that we we thought we uh, we didn't pay enough mind to. I think it
0: will depend on how viciously harsh the live-tweeting audience is when they listen. That
1: is very true. I mean,
0: I may be crying for weeks. I don't know.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Anyhow, uh, anything else you wanted to uh, to cover? Uh, a couple quick items. DerbyCon tickets
0: went on sale, but probably by the time you hear this, they'll be sold out. Yes. Uh, but, Jerry, you have a ticket. You're definitely going. I am probably not going to go because it is... Two weeks before my wedding, and I think that that would be uh, not a good way to start my marital bliss by disappearing for a weekend in the crunch time, sadly. However, however, uh, O'Reilly Defensive Security Conference in New York in late October we will be at, and I think we're safe to announce we're actually running a panel. We are running the Ignite Talks panel for that conference, which we're very excited about.
1: That's right. And note that we don't say that we're going to run it well, just that we're going to run it.
0: Absolutely. Please don't expect anything but tomfoolery from us. That's <laughs> basically how we cope with not actually having a clue what we're doing. This is how we deal with our imposter syndrome. We just hide it behind jokes.
1: That's very true. Yes. Uh, what else? Anything else uh, coming up? Um... No, I think at, I think at DerbyCon I will probably be having a book signing. I'll, I'll be signing other people's books, just random, just like yeah, just Dianetics
0: bring, by L. Ron Hubbard. Bring bring me a
1: book and I'll sign it. <laughs> and and also uh, we will be having pictures with Jerry. It, it we'll have a choice of backgrounds, so you know you can have, you know, us shaking hands in front of the Times Square or the Sistine Chapel or, or whatever. I mean, it's going to be a great time.
0: How much are you paying people to shake your hand?
1: Well, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't quite figured that out yet. Okay. Just, just yeah.
0: want to be clear on this. Because, you know, otherwise that's just kind of
1: creepy. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> thank you for hanging in with us for so long. Uh, hopefully this was useful to you. And and uh by the way, you know, I, as I said, the the report is worth reading. It is eighty four pages and that's especially in this day and age where, you know, it's tough to get through a list of 10 bullet points. Um, it's a long read, but it's great. You know, it, it is, um, I think it's very informative. It it helps. Certainly there's some controversy. It always helps to be a little skeptical about things, but it is really good to have uh, an outsider's view that kind of spans uh, maybe more than than you have visibility to yourself, so... Anyway, that, I think it's worth the read, and uh, with that, we will talk again next week, and you know, we'll, maybe we'll catch up on some of the most recent craziness that's been going on. So, thank you very much. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye bye. And now, uh, by the way, mm. www.defensivesecurity.org to uh, to get to the. Uh, we'll have links for the the report and to the. Uh, attrition org blog post and uh, let's see yeah the, the the show twitter defensive sec you twitter at lurg me twitter at malicious link and uh, with that we'll talk again next week bye 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 <laughs> all right here we go today is Monday May Day March? Uh, sorry, May first, March first. What the hell? Let me try that it's again. It's not
0: even Monday. It's Sunday. Wow. For f- start over.
1: Today is Sunday, May first, also known as May Day. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> yeah. God damn it! I forgot my notes upstairs. Give me one second. For f- sake, Jerry. I know. I knew I was missing and something. And that's our
0: show for tonight. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
1: <laughs> I knew I was missing something. I just couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> your sanity. Well, that <laughs> that is definitely missing, yes.
0: It receded with your hairline.
1: I'm not sure which one went first.
0: Hmm. Well, correlation, causation, all that kind of jazz. I got selected for a NASA event in California. Could be cool. I've never experienced a sonic boom, so
1: That does sound pretty cool. I mean I've I've, I've had some days
0: after Taco Bell that you might have caught it <laughs> We've all been there. I mean <laughs> Definitely rattled some windows.
1: Oh yeah. <sighs> Chalupa Chalupe afterburner as they call it, right? <laughs> Indeed.
0: Well, see, this is where I got confused because it says on page thirteen, but it's actually on page fifteen.
1: Fuckers. Well, you ready to uh, no talk? d I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> Hold me, mom.
0: <laughs> I'm not your mother. Stop! I keep telling you this.
1: It's very confusing.
0: I understand, and clearly you were misinformed as to what, you know, mothers and fathers
1: are. My life's been a lie.
0: (sighs) Yes, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.